Welcome to An Amber A Day, the podcast all about functional nutrition for PCOS. I'm Amber Fisher, a certified nutrition specialist and licensed dietitian nutritionist, and I have training in functional medicine. I also have PCOS, and on this podcast, we discuss PCOS in depth, the nutrition strategies for it, as well as the realities of living with it and making this lifestyle work. For further guidance and meal plan support, you can check out the show notes for links to my PCOS courses and programs. And if this podcast helps you, please do me a favor and leave me a review. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get into today's episode. listening to an Amber a Day, the podcast, and I'm Amber Fisher. Thank you for joining me again today. I do want to just quickly thank all of you who continue to listen to me week after week, talk to myself in my home office. I really appreciate you. Hope you're in for another good one because we're continuing our series on the priority pyramid, and today we're going over the big topic of gut health and how gut health affects fertility. So over the last several weeks, we've kind of been going over these different issues. We've gone through um, different fertility issues, why, you know, the gut health is something that we need to look at for fertility issues and not just hormones themselves. We've looked at the adrenals and the role that they play. If you look at, if you go to my website, amberfishernutrition.com. There's a blog post on this, but there's a, a visual of a pyramid. At the top of the pyramid, we have the sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all that kind of stuff. And then underneath that on the pyramid, we have the adrenals and their hormones that they produce, particularly cortisol, which is a stress hormone and an energy hormone. And then underneath that, we have gut health, and all the things that go along with that. And so in order to really fix the hormones at the top of the pyramid, if we've got issues there, we really have to look deeper, first at the adrenals and if they're being affected, so if stress is playing a role in this situation. And then finally, we look at gut health. And spoiler alert, um, we always have to look at gut health. So it all comes back there. And that's been, that's the culmination of this whole priority pyramid is that the point is stop looking at your estrogen or your testosterone or your progesterone being out of balance and start looking at where your gut health might be out of balance. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have conscious gut issues. So you may feel like, you know, your your digestion may be fine, but you can still have gut issues. So we're going to go into that in a little bit. Um, before we get started with that, I just want to update you guys on a couple of new things that are going on with me and my business and my little side projects and stuff. Many of you follow me on social media. That's probably where you found me. Um, You might know this already, but a couple weeks ago, I decided to start a new project. Uh, I just felt like I was being pulled to talk more about my IVF and infertility experience, uh, my personal experience. And rather than, you know, fill my nutrition social media pages with a bunch about, you know, me and IVF and potentially alienate a lot of people who listen to me and um, follow me, I decided to make a separate uh, account on Instagram called after underscore IVF. 
And it's just a place where I'm sharing my thoughts, my struggles, my continuing trauma over my infertility and IVF experience, and also sharing stories of other women who are IVF mothers. So um, I've already shared a few stories on there. I shared some of my own thoughts. It's still very new, but we're getting going. And the goal for it eventually is for it to be a really great, vibrant community of IVF mothers. Um, that community grows every day. A lot of times IVF mothers feel alienated because they don't relate anymore to their friends that they made through the infertility journey, especially if those friends haven't gotten their um, miracles yet. But they also don't relate to your average pregnant woman, your average mother. It's just a different experience. So, you know, in life, we all have our burdens and our challenges and we need support through those things. And um, just over the last couple of months here in quarantine, I've had a lot of time to think and um, I've been through a lot of things, as you know, if you've listened to some previous podcasts. So I decided to make that community uh, mostly for me, just to connect with other IVF mothers um, but also for any of you out there who have that experience and want to share or want to learn and, and everything. So um, go ahead and follow me on there if that speaks to you. And another thing that I have started that is also still very fresh and new is a support group on Facebook. I got a lot of benefit out of support groups while I was pregnant in particular. I had a very difficult pregnancy and so I was part of several groups and then my son was born early. So I'm still part of a lot of like preemie mom support groups. And I've just gotten so much benefit from groups like that in times in my life where I really needed that support. So I decided that um, I, I felt like there was a gap in the support process for women who have gone through infertility and then IVF. And so I made a support group on Facebook for that, and it's called Motherhood After IVF and Infertility. There will be a link to it in the show notes. So take a look at that. If that's something that describes you, something that um, you feel like you could benefit from, I would love for you to join us there. It's still very new, so I'm pretty sure there's like five people in it right now, and we're not really posting anything yet because I'm waiting for it to build up to where there's enough people that if something were posted, they would actually get answers and responses. So Join it if you don't see anything right away. I promise you there's things in the works. It's just a building process with these support groups to make sure that it's a good experience for everyone. So um, those are the two things that I've really been up to. Besides that, in my personal life, just been hanging out with Calvin. My husband went back to work. He is a teacher, and this is his first year teaching, and he is... Um, back in the classroom doing that. So the kids are online, but the teachers have to go back to the classroom. So that's fun. So I've been home with little Calvin, and we've been having a good time going on walkies and uh, playing with toys and doing silly things. So that's what you do with a baby all day. And my house is a total disaster. That is about it. Besides working with my lovely clients who are very patient with me, when I have to put the baby down for a nap before our consultation. So it has been a juggling process. I know many of you are working from home right now, and I'm sure you can relate. So uh, that's what's going on with me. Now, let's get to today's topic. Um, so I have some notes here that I want to kind of go over because gut health and fertility can become a very complex topic very quickly. 
there is so much to cover. I mean, if you think about the fact that all health really does begin in the gut, uh, I know that's something that you know sometimes sounds gimmicky. And if you don't have a good grasp of the research and you know the current climate around nutrition and health, that doesn't sound you know like it makes much sense because. We come from a way of thinking where we look at the body as kind of separate systems. So if we have hormonal imbalances, we look at the hormones themselves and try to manipulate those. And we don't look at anything that might be causing it. We just sort of think, well, you know, besides besides like body fat, which is the one thing where they'll, you know, you'll you might hear like, oh, you need to lose weight. Besides that, you don't hear a lot about like the interplay of diet and hormonal health. Um from a basis that I think makes real sense to people going through this stuff. So it can get complicated and gimmicky really fast. Um, if you've ever looked into you know gut health before or looked into nutritionists before, you obviously know that there's a range of ideas and practices and ways that people address gut health. You know, I see stuff on my feed all the time about, like, I I see some stuff sometimes that's like, gut healthy, uh, like, milkshake, gut healthy this, gut healthy that. And it's just like that word is a buzzword now that's not, I don't feel used appropriately. Gut health is a really serious topic. Um, So, and you can't, like, make a, like, a milkshake gut healthy and then it's like great for your gut or something it just like doesn't work that way there's not like any one product you can take on its own that'll be like oh this is going to help your gut health you can't like drink kombucha and then have great gut health it's much more complicated than that so yes there are supplements and things that are used as part of the process of recovering gut health but first you kind of have to know what's going wrong with your gut health and uh, you have to get a good overall picture of things first before you start throwing stuff at it that you don't really um, fully know that you need. And, you know, I also recognize that especially before I started becoming a practicing nutritionist, I would hear people say stuff like that, like, don't take supplements if you don't know that you absolutely need them. And I kind of roll my eyes at it because I'm like, well, I'm going to roll the dice and do what I want to do. So I fully validate some of you still you know, want to try supplements and things. And, you know, I do respect the fact that people know their bodies better than anyone else. I always, when I'm working with clients, tell them, you know yourself much better than I do. So you know if you're going to react to something, you know if this is a problem for you or it's good for you or whatever. So I do believe in the power of that intuition about our health, but it is still worth being cautious. I have just seen enough at this point to have seen a few a few horror stories. So, you know, definitely um, be careful. But we'll talk about all that stuff as we move along here. So the first thing I kind of want to go over is ways that you, that poor gut health can contribute to hormone imbalances. So gut health in general is a huge topic. But when we're talking specifically about the way that it relates to hormones, we look at these three kind of main indicators 
or three main places where they could manipulate and throw out of balance certain hormones. So the first way could be through inflammation. And this is probably the most pervasive and common iteration of gut health affecting hormonal balance. Inflammation as well is one of those topics that can become really gimmicky and really overly complicated too fast. Um, You know, you also hear about like, this is an inflammation lowering whatever. Um, Again, it's more complicated than that. But inflammation in general, what we're talking about there is something that we call chronic inflammation, right? And so there's two different kinds of inflammation. There's acute inflammation and there's chronic inflammation. Acute inflammation is like, If you break a bone, your body sends swelling there to protect the wound, to help that wound heal, to help that bone keep it in place, all that stuff. So it's important for healing, inflammation is. So we don't want to have no inflammation in our bodies or no ability to create inflammation in our bodies. But when we talk about chronic inflammation, that's this kind of low-grade inflammation that's going on all the time. So it becomes even though it's 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 a low level, it's excessive to the body. The body never has a chance to recover from this inflammation because it's just constantly being bombarded with it. So the way gut health creates inflammation or gut health imbalances create inflammation is that it contributes to a condition called leaky gut, right? And leaky gut is the condition where the cell walls are weak and the junctures aren't tight and so particles of food get through into the bloodstream. We've talked about this a lot before on different podcasts, so I don't want to talk your ear off about what leaky gut is. But essentially that process creates antibodies. Those antibodies are beneficial to your body in most cases. Uh, You want your body to attack foreign invaders. But when your body starts attacking your food that you eat every day as a foreign invader, that's when it's gone a little too far. And so you constantly have this antibody production, which means you're constantly having inflammation being produced in the system. That inflammation can increase the risk of, first of all, autoimmune conditions. They, a lot of them, most of them, stem from this very process of foods getting into the bloodstream, causing antibody production, that's excessive, and then the body just kind of like running with that and attacking different organs, right? So this can increase the risk of those natural killer cells causing problems in implantation. This can also increase or decrease egg quality because it's hard to put any resources towards uh, egg quality when the body is working on dealing with constant low levels of stress all the time. It is also a problem with pregnancy maintenance. We talk a lot in the infertility community about getting pregnant, but once you do become pregnant, you suddenly realize like, wow, this is not the end. Like now I have to actually stay pregnant. And that process and the fear of that, I think is actually in a lot of ways much worse than the fear and anxiety surrounding you know, embryo transfers and whether you're going to get the right number of eggs and all that stuff because now you're responsible for a real growing life, this life that you've put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of hopes and dreams and a lot of money into. And so, um, you know, doing everything in your power to prevent whatever is controllable. And I'm not, absolutely not saying that um, all miscarriages come from 
you know, poor diet or poor choices, most of them come from just the fact that these things happen, unfortunately, um, especially early on. But there is, you know, there is cause for that inflammation in some cases causing an environment that's not, that's not ideal for an embryo to continue growing and could lead to inflammation can affect fertility in that way. Now, one thing that poor gut health also does is it increases insulin resistance. And there's actually evidence of this when you look at bacteria in the gut. There are certain bacteria in the gut that make the body produce more insulin. So in a lot of people who are insulin resistant, they have like overgrowths of these different bacteria. So um, insulin resistance is not just something that you get because you're overweight or because you were born with this genetic condition called PCOS and you just have it and there's nothing you can do about it. Insulin resistance also can come from poor gut health. And in many cases with with PCOS, it's a combination of factors. You know, we have genetic predispositions, but we also have a lot of environmental stuff going on with women with this condition, particularly if they are um, very overweight. So um, when they're more normal weight, we have a lot of issues, but the issues don't necessarily surround insulin resistance as much as they do when there's excess body fat um, in a woman. So poor gut health can increase insulin resistance in people like that. And when that happens, insulin resistance can affect egg quality. It affects, for sure, testosterone and estrogen production and leans in the realm of more testosterone being produced more estrogen being produced, and very little progesterone being produced. It throws off ovulations. Um, Stress can do that too, but insulin resistance throws off ovulation, which then contributes even more to that excessive production of testosterone and estrogen. Um, Particularly, it's estrogen that I worry about when a woman's not ovulating. And then, you know, women with PCOS are obviously at higher risk of endometrial cancer. Um, I'm walking proof of that. So there's definitely something to be said for ovulating regularly if it's at all possible. Um, And there are lots of things that we can do if insulin resistance is part of this issue to help that along. So um, there's another podcast that I did at some point on PCOS and the different types of PCOS and kind of my approaches to treating those different conditions and managing those symptoms. So if you want to listen to that for a little bit more depth on that topic, I recommend it. But um, that's one thing that can be going on with insulin resistance. And then the last thing is stress on the adrenals. So poor gut health, you know, just like we talked about with that pyramid, it goes both ways, right? So when we're looking at hormones, then we look at the adrenals. When we look at adrenals, we look at gut health. Well, Gut health being out of whack affects first the adrenals before it affects anything else. And then the adrenals sort of cause these issues with the um, with the sex hormones. Well, with the adrenals, if there's a constant level of stress from either inflammation or, I'm sorry, insomnia or, um, you know, poor circadian rhythm balance, just stress in the life, especially traumas and things like that, big moves divorce. There are a lot of different things that can cause major issues with uh, with stress. But even just something like over-exercising or not eating enough 
can cause issues with the adrenals. Having poor gut health can also stress those adrenals. So one of the ways this happens is through that pathway of inflammation. When we have leaky gut and those antibodies are being produced, those antibodies then cause that chronic inflammation, which is a stress on the body. And this body responds by producing more cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And so that excessive production of cortisol then can lead to issues with the balance of the hormones. I'm really oversimplifying things here. So there's obviously much more, it's much more complicated. There's a lot more to all the balance of these different things, but that's just to give you a general idea of the multiple pathways that having poor gut health, having a weak microbiome or a non-diverse microbiome, weak cell junctures can lead to different pathways of getting the hormones out of whack. If you think about all the complex symphony of things that needs to happen for a woman to ovulate, just ovulate. Um, it's really amazing that women do it at all. I mean, honestly, like I'm surprised that more people don't have issues with ovulation given the way that we eat in the United States and um, the way that we work and the way that we live and sleep and all that stuff. So it's kind of amazing. Um, So we have to recognize that when we have fertility conditions... Um, many, many of them do have a gut health component. And if we can address the issues with gut health, I'm not saying that we can completely cure those conditions or take them away, but there is room for improvement in the symptomology of those people, which can then improve the chances of conception, either naturally or through fertility treatments. So let's talk about how would you know that you had poor gut health, right? Because obviously if you have diarrhea every day or you're constipated and you go poop like every four days or something, that's a clear indicator that you have gut health issues, right? And those people know that they have gut health issues. If you get nauseous every time you eat, if you get gas every time you eat, Um, painful gas. If you have to drink coffee to go number two, those are all signs of poor gut health that people would kind of recognize as like, okay, something's like not 100% right with my gut. If you have to use like fiber supplements and things like that, you know, then there may be something that's not quite right. But there are a lot of ways that gut poor gut health can kind of show itself without showing itself in the digestive tract. So one kind of indicator that you probably have gut health issues is if you eat a poor diet. That's like number one. If you eat a lot of fast food, if you did a food diary and more than, I would say at least more than 50% of what you eat is processed, fried, um, you know, quick convenience food, stuff like that, then you probably have gut health issues. If it's a temporary thing that's been going on for a month or two, but before that you ate, you know, a healthy diet or a more whole foods diet, then, you know, you may not need to worry about it quite as much. But if this is like a chronic thing that has been like this for, for a while, um, that's number one. 
an indicator that something's probably not right in there because eating like that does kill off beneficial bacteria and it prevents beneficial bacteria from growing because it doesn't give it the food that it needs, which come from fibers and starches and things that are in healthy foods. So that's an indicator. And in a lot of cases, people eat like that and they feel fine, like especially if they're young. Uh, fertility age, you know, you your body is resilient enough that you may not have conscious issues with your gut health. You may not have digestive problems, but yet you can still have poor gut health. Um, other indicators, a big one would be autoimmunity. If you have any type of autoimmune disorder or a strong family history of autoimmune disorder, even if you haven't been diagnosed, there's a good chance that you have gut health issues. Autoimmune disorders come primarily from gut health issues. That's their genesis. Um, there's obviously genetic predisposition for them as well. But um, you know, if you know anything about epigenetics, that's the science of turning genes on and off. So there's our genes are not completely set in stone. There's some malleability there. Um, so if you have any type of autoimmune disorder especially one for which you are taking medication or you have symptoms and flare-ups, that could be affecting your um, fertility via your gut health because you probably have food sensitivities in those cases. And um, if there are food sensitivities, especially to things that you eat um, fairly often, then you're causing that inflammation in the system, et cetera, et cetera. So autoimmune disorders are disorders where the body attacks itself. There are numerous autoimmune disorders out there, but just some examples that are more common, um, Hashimoto's, thyroiditis, um, celiac disease, Sjogren's, uh, let's see, what else? Uh, Rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia. It's not like an official autoimmune disorder, but it, it has an autoimmune component. Um, really, if you have any type of chronic pain, that can be an indicator there. So there's a lot of different, uh, different diseases that indicate that there may be, probably is an issue with gut health. If you have, uh, hormonal conditions, so if you are infertile and you're having trouble conceiving, Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or go search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. In a, I would say a majority of cases, there is a gut health component there. So um, I, I'd argue that probably all cases have a gut health component, but you know, for the sake of being balanced about the fact that I don't know everything and there are things that we don't know in nutrition yet either. But there's definitely a lot of gut health issues going on in people who have infertility for the most part. So if you have PCOS... Like, for sure, we probably have some gut issues going on. Um, I work 
in my practice primarily with women who have PCOS, mostly because it's so common, um, but also because I have or had, I don't have my ovaries anymore, so I don't know if I can say I have PCOS anymore, um, PCOS, but you know, so I, so a lot of women are kind of drawn to working with me because I can understand what they're going through. So uh, I can tell you that in almost all those cases, I have asked for those women to do food sensitivity testing because that's something that I really like to do in my practice. I just feel like I get a lot of benefit out of it as the practitioner and the client gets better results. And I've never seen somebody with PCOS come back and not have food sensitivities. It's just like for sure they probably have some. So I can almost like bet on it now, if that makes sense. So if you have PCOS, if you have endometriosis, if you have uh, estrogen dominance, if you have um, anxiety or depression, this is one way, you know, the gut affects our brain through the vagus nerve, which is a nerve that directly connects the gut and the brain. And so it can manipulate our neurotransmitters and make us feel anxious, make us feel more depressed or make us more prone to those things. If you have those conditions, it's a strong indicator that there's probably some issues with your gut health. Now, if those conditions are connected to past trauma or, um, you know, other things, there's obviously, you know, therapy is necessary for the maintenance of that stuff. It's not all purely biological. Um, There's some emotional and mental components of anxiety and depression. But if you have those, it can be an indicator that there's gut health imbalances that really need to be corrected. So those are just a few examples. But if you're going through fertility treatments, let's say you've got something planned in the next few months, I think it behooves you to take a look at this stuff because fertility treatments are expensive. I mean, I've been through it myself. I'm still paying off my experience with IVF. Um, So I know that, you know, if there's any way that you can make yourself healthier, right, that at least gives you, you know, you feel better, your body is in a healthier place when you're trying to conceive. It can improve your odds. um, And then it helps maintain a healthier pregnancy, And um, eventually, when that baby is born, it helps you get back to a healthy body weight, to a healthy body um, balance after the baby is born as well. Because babies, they'll deplete your nutrients. Um, They're very effective little parasites. But if you don't have nutrients stored You know, if you don't have extra of a lot of vitamins and things like that, when that baby depletes them and he's born, um, then you have to work on rebuilding that. And I mean, you're always, you're going to have to do it anyway, but you'll be in a much better place if you at least had some reserves when you got started. So um, there's two ways really to think about fertility treatment. There's the way of thinking, well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm just like, this is just how I am. And I'm just going to go and trust the doctors and, you know, hopefully it works. And then there's the way of thinking, okay, I recognize that I don't have full control over this situation. But yet there are things that I can do to improve my chances or to make myself at least healthier so that I'm in a better place for pregnancy and motherhood, if nothing else. 
And you take that time before you go through the fertility treatment process. I think that's the better choice. Now, I'm biased because obviously I'm a nutritionist, but I've found that, you know, my clients who come to see me after they're already in the middle of fertility treatments, they don't tend to have as good of um, luck with all this stuff because it gets so crazy when you're in the middle of fertility treatments. Like it's hard at that point to really focus on anything but what you're doing with the fertility treatments. Whereas if you've got six months before things start, you can really prepare. And yes, it costs a little bit more money to work on these things with a professional, but also in a lot of ways in life, you kind of get what you pay for. So if you invest a little bit of money up front um, and invest your energy and your time and your med- your motivation, which is really key, then I think you come out of it with better results. I've seen that in my practice. I've seen that in my own life. So I feel like confident saying that. Um, the way that we would look at gut health as it relates to fertility is different based on different people and different conditions and obviously I'm already running on 33 minutes in this podcast so I can't go into every single one that's kind of you know that's the little carrot that I hold out so you guys will come see me as clients no I'm just kidding um but what we want to think about when we think about making gut health better for fertility conditions is we want to think about first addressing the places where inflammation is getting the better of our system. So like priority one for me always as a nutritionist is food sensitivity testing. Um, There's some confusion about that that I have heard um, recently. I know there's different labs and things now that like can send you home kits and stuff. Um, I don't recommend doing hair testing for that. So if you're considering doing hair testing, there's really no, there's really no good evidence that that works um, or that that makes much sense. So I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't waste your money there. Now you're going to hear different things from different people about food sensitivity testing, like blood testing. Um, some practitioners think that it's not worth it because there's a risk of false positives. Some people like me are really into it. I've done enough food sensitivity tests and seen enough transformations that I'm sold on food sensitivity testing. Um, I think the science will eventually play that out, but everyone has to make that decision for themselves. Currently the gold standard in nutrition is to do an elimination diet. And, uh, you know, that's part of the process, but I do think um, I do think having testing along with it is helpful. So I usually like to start there, and uh, then I do like to do elimination diets with people. I like to eliminate the stuff they're sensitive to. I also like to eliminate stuff that maybe they're not sensitive to, but that also can be inflammatory. You know, if they don't have a dairy intolerance, but yet they're still eating dairy, I'm going to ask them to stop eating that. Um, If they don't have a gluten intolerance, I'm still going to ask them to stop eating wheat Um, and possibly all grains for a little while just because I want to really, really calm the system down and 
and see how much inflammation we can reduce. Um, I like to look too at weight if we have time. When we're right about to start fertility treatments, I don't like to lose weight. I kind of like to keep things the same unless weight is the main issue. But um, in women who you know are just like slightly overweight or moderately overweight, I like to address that long before we start the fertility treatments um, because weight loss can be a stress on the body too. Um, so we want to be careful about that. But I do like to look at weight uh, because losing weight has been shown to decrease inflammation in the system. And I think sometimes we don't like to hear those things because we want to believe that weight doesn't make a difference to our overall health and to our fertility. But unfortunately, it does. Um, there's just no real way around it. Now, that's not to say that like you have to be like stick thin, but you do have to maintain a healthy balance for your figure in order for you to get the best benefits from fertility treatments. And uh, so I like to look at that. So there's a lot of removal, like we remove a lot of things from the diet, right? We're trying to remove excess body fat. We're trying to remove inflammatory foods. The other thing that we do is we add. A lot of people are lacking good resistant starches in their diet, fiber in their diet, uh, polyphenols, antioxidants. You get all these things primarily from vegetables. So I like to add in a bunch of vegetables. Um, is it fun? No. I'll be the first to admit that um, I've never been a huge vegetable person. I've never really like loved them, but you got to eat them, guys. You just have to. It's like one of those things that you just have to do. You can't get out all from fruit. Although fruit is not bad for you, and um, I do think a moderate consumption of fruit is very healthy for the average person, even a woman with PCOS. But you cannot get all your antioxidants from fruit. You have got to eat vegetables. And for fertility, we're really looking at cruciferous vegetables because those help detox excess hormones, particularly estrogen, out of the diet. We're looking at um, leafy greens. Those have a lot of folate and other nutrients that we need. We're looking at, um, you know, even healthy starches and stuff can help produce serotonin, which is beneficial. So we just want a rainbow of colors as much as possible when we eat. You don't want to eat everything that's beige and leave it at that. So adding more nutrient density into the diet is huge, um, along with reducing inflammatory foods. And... Um, then you have to look at supplements with this. And I'm not going to go through an entire list of all the supplements that can help fertility because really, first of all, it would be a really long list. And second of all, I do feel it's a little bit unethical to just list off supplements because I know, <laughs> I know how I, what I would do if I heard a list like that. I'd be like, okay this, this, and this going on Amazon and I'm going to buy them. Um, and not all of them are appropriate for every person. So, but I'll tell you the basics of gut health restoration. It surrounds probiotics, good quality therapeutic level probiotics. 
And unfortunately, you cannot get those off of Amazon. Um, you have got to buy those from a professional who knows how they're shipped and knows how they're stored and takes care of them. Um, with probiotics too, you get what you pay for. You really do. Um, there are certain supplements that I think are like overrated and overpriced, but probiotics are not one of them. If you see a $70 probiotic, but it ships to you refrigerated and, um, you know, from a reliable, reputable company, then that's kind of what you're looking for. My probiotics that I use in my practice run anywhere from $60 a bottle all the way up close to $100 a bottle. Is it ideal? No. I mean, I don't want anyone to have to pay that much money, but unfortunately, you those products are just expensive. And um, buying a $15 probiotic from the grocery store that's been sitting around on the shelf and in a hot warehouse is likely going to do very little to nothing for you. So a gut health restoration protocol centers around probiotic therapy. We also look at prebiotics. Um, prebiotics are super important. Not everybody can tolerate the high levels of probiotics and prebiotics right off the bat that they would need to to get to a healthy place. Sometimes die-off happens, and that can be very uncomfortable. So this is all why it's important to work with somebody who knows what they're doing because if you take probiotics for a few days and all of a sudden you start having awful symptoms and you're having diarrhea and things like that, your first instinct is going to be like, well, I don't tolerate this, so I shouldn't take it. And that may not necessarily be the case. It may be that you need to start it slower. Um, it may be that you have some type of overgrowth in your digestive tract that needs addressing. So there's lots of things going that could be going on. Other things to look at, you know, we like to use things that build the mucus layer. Glutamate builds the mucus layer. I like to use immunoglobulins for that. Um, when we look at hormone detoxing, a big problem in PCOS is not being able to detox excess hormones, the liver not working properly, the gallbladder not working properly. So we look at things to support that like milk thistle, um, DIM, calcium deglucurate if we have a really, um, a really big estrogen dominance problem. Uh, ubiquinol is something that's been shown to increase egg quality. So that's one that I usually like to use. Um, again, you get what you pay for with ubiquinol. Um, and then B vitamins, of course, are huge. So taking a quality prenatal, preferably with methylated B vitamins. Methylation is one of those things that not everybody needs it. But if you're already dealing with infertility, I think you're rolling the dice more in the favor of like you're probably needing some methylation assistance. So I would uh, definitely do a methylated prenatal. Uh, so addressing nutrient deficiencies, you know, is huge in dealing with gut health because it helps build those colonies of good bacteria and helps strengthen those junctures between the cells. And that's partially done with supplements. It's partially done with diet. Um, the biggest thing that there has to be with that is dedication and time because it does not happen overnight. And that's why I say when I like to start these things at least six months before we start doing, you know, major fertility treatments, especially IVF. 
So, um, and there are different tests and things that can be used to determine the overall health of your gut, um, to determine nutrient deficiencies. Those are things that a functional practitioner most likely has access to and can help you, can help you do. But, um, that's kind of the general idea about working on gut health and fertility. So if that sounds like you, if that sounds like something where you're thinking that there's a deeper issue with your hormone balance, uh, I would highly recommend working with somebody, either somebody local um, or somebody functional that you find that you feel like you can really trust and they have a lot of experience in those issues and a good education. Um, you want somebody with a master's degree, preferably, to help you with that stuff. And, um, you know, absolutely none of this is meant to say that if you need fertility treatments or that your if your fertility treatments don't work for you, that it's your fault. It's absolutely not. Um, and I know that sometimes information like this can come across that way. But speaking as somebody who... I'm a nutritionist. I still needed IVF. Um, I'm a nutritionist. I still got cancer and I still had to have my organs removed and stuff. So there's, it's not, uh, it's not all always 100% your fault, but at least you gave it the old college try, right? Like at least you did everything. So you can check that off your list and say, you know what? I tried it. I did it. And um, this still was the outcome, but hey, I did everything that I could. Um, and there's no, uh, there's no shame in having your baby with IVF. They're little miracles. Um, I know that firsthand. So that is all I'm going to talk about with gut health. If you have questions for the podcast, please email me at anamberadaypodcast at gmail.com and I'd be happy to answer them. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to support me on social media and um, join that group if you are an IVF mama. And I will talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye. If you learned something today or you enjoyed today's episode or both, I'd love it if you would leave me an iTunes review and share this with a friend. If this brought up a question for you that you would like to hear me answer, there is a Google form that you can use to ask me any question you want, and I might answer it here on the podcast. I do it all the time, and I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time.